Our guests for episode six of No Longer Neighbors are from the AND campaign, Dr. Vonnie Gant, the Dallas chapter chair, and Damian Madison, who's on the AND campaign leadership council, as well as the pastoral liaison. He leads the Life Community Fellowship Church in Richardson, Texas. You might not know what the AND campaign is, and I didn't till about the beginning of June when I saw a tweet. I'm very active on Twitter, at least following others. I don't tweet a whole lot. But I saw a tweet from a gentleman named Justin Gibney, and I'm going to read you the tweet. It's a little bit of a mouthful, but I think it's really important uh, to set the stage for what Chris and I are talking about today and that it's, a, it's an important conversation. The tweet says, being conservative or progressive on every single issue is intellectually lazy and unfaithful. Critique and pushback on these flawed ideologies. Make conservatism sympathize and pursue racial justice. Make progressivism acknowledge absolute truth and the sanctity of life. Since I saw that tweet, I've listened to multiple podcasts from Justin and the Anne Campaign co-founders. And this week I started their book. So on July 21st, they released a book and it's been eye-opening. So Chris and I get to have a conversation today that unpacks that a little bit more. And I really think it's going to be helpful to everyone if you give it the time and listen. The book is called Compassion and Conviction, the AND Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement. Let's get into our conversation with Vani and Damien. But first, here's Kibo. Yeah, no longer neighbors, hosted by Chris and Aaron. Used to live next door, Dallas, Texas, representing. But then Aaron moved away. Yeah, that's the situation. So join the podcast, get in on the conversation. Yeah, yeah, authentic, real friends, I admit it. Still keeping the connection, it don't matter about the distance. You don't have to wait up, I'ma tell you straight up. Entertaining for sure, this is no longer neighbors. Yeah. So starting off, I just really wanted to understand how both of you got involved with the AND campaign and what did it look like or what does it look like um, being involved right now? So I guess I can go first. Um, I heard about the AND campaign initially in 2018. And the way I heard about it was I had read Michael Ware's book. He had come out with a book. I'd have to Google the name of it right now. but. Um, I read about it um, through an email that he sent. And so basically he came out with the book, I read it, I signed up to be on a newsletter that he would put out. And then that summer he put out a newsletter that said he was coming on with the AND campaign. And so that's how I found out about the AND campaign. And so I saw on their website that they had a Dallas chapter and I reached out. And, and that's how I got plugged in, plugged into the Dallas chapter. It really, when I read their website and saw their promotional video, it really spoke to me because I did feel like a fish out of water in the political realm. Um, and that I didn't feel at home really in either political party. And it was just really frustrating, especially um, 
with the Trump administration coming on and having to kind of work through that. Um, and so I felt like the and campaign messaging really spoke to me um, and how we are like in this world, but not of this world as Christians. And like, how can we engage um, in a way where like we don't completely compromise our faith. And so um, I really appreciated that. And I felt like they were being a voice for so many of us out there who felt like we didn't have a voice when you look at each party. And so that's how I ended up becoming involved um, in the AND campaign. And then over the last couple of years, um, the chapters you know, have just been growing not only in Dallas, but around the country as well. Um, and so what it looks like to be involved in the Dallas chapters specifically is three-tiered really. There's like a core team that plans and organizes. So there's a group of five of us who do that. And there's the community um, or the committed, sorry, that's the second tier. And those folks just come to events, help us set up, things like that. And then there's um, the community. And that's people who just for whatever reason, it's a busy time in their life, but they want to get the resources and the newsletters, but that's about as much as they can do due to constraints on whatever, you know, season of life that they're in. Um, and so that looks like education, like that's what our chapter is all about, it's like educating um, people, like where you may not have time to do your own research or compile a list of who the candidates are in particularly local elections. Um, like our hope is that we can help, like kind of put the resources in a place that are easily accessible, not taking away the effort that's still going to be involved, of course, because there's effort and civic engagement, um, but to make it just a little bit easier. Um, and so it's education on elections that might be coming up, educating ourselves on issues together, bringing speakers to come in to talk to us who are knowledgeable about subjects, because I know you know, there's a lot that I don't know, and I'm thankful for Justin and Michael, who are both lawyers who can break things down, like Supreme Court, you know, rulings that are out there. Um, and so just people's expertise and being able to educate us and people who are believers, you know, who like, they love the Lord, they really love the Lord, um, and they also want to love others well. And so that's just kind of a, a brief overview. Awesome. Damien, can you tell us a little bit more about how you got involved and kind of what your involvement has looked like so far? Sure. Um, so uh, I actually got plugged in with Ann Campaign a couple of years ago. Um, a friend of mine that I went to undergrad with uh, is great friends with Justin. Um, and I've been involved in uh, social justice ministry, the majority of my ministry. Uh, so actually, I, I came up um, you know, with a with a lens of social justice uh, intersecting our theology and our faith walk. So, uh, so that's kind of been my you know my 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 upbringing. Um, and so, um, she actually uh, thought that Justin and I would know would be be a good connection. Um, you know, she made made the introduction. I met Justin, um, and and we uh, and. Uh, our our passions and visions in terms of of the in intersection of our uh, of our faith and our thinking and of course injustice uh, you know it, it worked well and so from there 
uh, I joined the 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 district team, um, and then from or council, and then from there, uh, started started working with the Dallas chapter, um, and so that's kind of how I came up in Anne, um, but it was no, by way of a friend, a friend who made the, made the introduction. The website, kind of the landing page where people will first find out about the Anne campaign, it mentions biblical values and social justice, like you talked about. But there are some people who might think the term social justice comes with certain connotations, and some might even have neg negative connotations about social justice. Why do you think that is right now, Damien? Well, so so that that's a a great question, um, and it's one that I could actually take the whole show to unpack. So I'll <laughs> I'll try and give you the <laughs> give you the short version. Um, one issue with that is is really um, short version is really having a misunderstanding of the biblical text in context. Um, you know, much of what we know theologically. Now, of course, and you know, again. Uh, I went to probably one of the most conservative seminaries in the world, um, and I did it on purpose um, because I wanted to actually be exposed to opposed thinking. Um, and so, but but much of what we how how we view scripture now is from a very Eurocentric, um, very disconnected um, view of scripture and theology, and so much so that many of us came up in church even. Um, dividing the soul uh, from the social, you know, the spiritual from the social. So there was this division. But actually, if you walk the scripture, the two intersect. The two are always connected. I mean, you can't read the book of Amos uh, without seeing how God is concerned about oppression and justice and, and, and his people. I mean, the very nature of love, love your neighbor as yourself is a concern. That word neighbor in the Greek points to, our, points to community. I mean, that's, that's on the entire, you know, our, who we know we engage with. I mean, story of the Good Samaritan, you know, again, points to how we care for our neighbors. So, so again, so scripture has always had that, um, that, you know, that, um, that sense that, you know, that culture, that innate, I mean, that, that, um, that position argument, if you will, of being, you know, caring for the person and the soul and the spirit. Um, so now the issue is because of, of that, that division uh, that we have seen over time, Social justice has been labeled as Marxist, has been labeled, I mean, as some very negative things like history um, because of that um, misunderstanding or disconnection theologically. Um, that's a short answer. Uh, I, could, could, I could, could go farther. Um, but I mean, it's really just really not understanding the text in context. Yeah, understood for sure. So this is a big week for the Anne campaign. A book came out this week, a couple days ago on the 21st. It's called Compassion and Conviction. It's written by Justin Gibney, Michael Ware, and Chris Butler. Chris and I have both started to dive into the book. But um, I just want to know, Vani, as someone who's been involved in the AND campaign now for a couple years, do you have any insight into why they chose compassion and conviction as a title? I, I've actually spent some time thinking about that, right? Two very potent, very important words going together, compassion and conviction. Give me your insight as someone who's involved with and and why, why they, you think they chose that title maybe. Yeah. Um, it, it could be just like saying love and truth. Right. And so that's really at the core of it that, um, with compassion, it is loving others. Um, 
seeking justice for others. Um, and then when it comes to the conviction part, it's truth and like what we believe as Christians, what are our foundational biblical truths. And so it's taking those two together. And that's always been and campaign's goal is to not separate compassion from conviction, which can be the case on either side. You can just focus on compassion, but then not emphasize truth, or you can just focus on truth and not emphasize compassion, but it's taking those two things together um, and living those out and not separating them, which can be the case um, within our political environment. It really grabs your attention immediately. Chapter one goes in about the Indian Removal Act and Americans, uh, I'll quote the book, failed to stand up for the voiceless and the vulnerable. Now, if American Christians had organized and rallied against the act, then maybe the Trail of Tears locations never take place. Maybe Native peoples have a better place in life right now. It's just a great example and illustration that we can't go back in time to right that wrong, but we have to recognize the wrongs that are happening in our time because they could affect generations into the future. And those are things happening right now today that we can recognize and with engagement, hopefully future generations will benefit. Right, right, right. Definitely. And, and, and that, and that compassion and conviction, you know, so that that's nestled in that, right. Having the, the compassion to understand the experience and what happened and how God's creation was impacted. I mean, if we, if we believe truly that, you know, that God is the creator of everything, that means you, me, you know, that's everybody. I mean, so, so if we see and recognize that, you know, we have compassion that God's creation was impacted so negatively, then that should fuel our conviction and say, you know what, there should be something that I need to do or confront or recognize about what has happened to bring about what Galatians says, a point of healing and reconciliation and change from what has happened. So the two have to go together. Begin again, Christ, and when he you know when he sees us, his compassion is to where we are, but his conviction is let's let's change, let's let's repair the breach, let's fix what's wrong. And that and that has to happen. Back, I mean, then obviously people did not, the people coming over that first descended on this land and found the native people didn't see them as human. They, right. they, they wanted to, to exterminate them and take the land and it didn't seem like there was any connection there at all. I hope we're not in that place today anymore with any, any race, but you, sh you, look, you look at me that way, Damien, that some people unfortunately they are still in that place yeah. with certain races yeah i mean it's true i mean that's you no know, and and that is you no know, that's the underbelly of racism because you no know, you're you're denying someone their god-given humanity i mean you no know, you're seeing someone as the other as the less than when in reality we are all worthy of that because we're all god's creation and so in knowing that we know we're in time now where oppression injustice racism um, prejudice exists because we're seeing someone less than what they really are. We know we have not, we are, we are robbing persons of their humanity, we are, of their, of their right of existence. And so again, and that, and that ties back to as a Christian, as, as a believer, um, I, I have to recognize that if I turn a blind eye to injustice, 
I'm not walking in compassion for how God's creation is being impacted. You know, all these things that we're talking about, I think, are within a Christian context, right? This is a, a book about how faith and politics intersect, and the campaign is about that. But one of the disturbing things to me is that we have seen so much of this division when we talk about compassion versus conviction or social justice versus whatever, right? We're having these debates um, in the church, but we're having them separately. And it's come to my, you know, my mind through all this is one of the problems that we are as Christians still as separate on Sunday mornings. I know it's a question that's been asked for a long time, right? But we're, we're still as separate in most cases on Sunday mornings as we were when things were segregated. And, you know, if we as Christians are not working these things out together, um, then how do we expect non-believers to work out these kinds of things, right? So what is both of you, anyone on this one, I just really am trying to understand as people who come from a different background than myself, than from Chris, what is your viewpoint on why we're still so divided on Sunday mornings and, and what this should look like as a church? Um, I'm going to start this way. Um, there's a verse that we love to quote and we love to preach. Um, if my people who are called by name, well, homie says and pray, right? No, 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 we've all heard that, right? Now, that verse right there, if you, if you take it in context, is talking to the people of God. Right. You know, and so, um, you know, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves, would pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then, <laughs> you know, I hear from heaven, here the lamb. The issue that we have when it comes to this conversation about the church is number one, we're unwilling ourselves to turn from our own, own wicked ways. You know, we're, no, we're unwilling to have these conversations about, about, about race, about oppression. Um, and we have yet to confront the history that has brought us to where we are right now. There's a reason why Sunday looks the way it is right now. There's a reason why we have a black church because historically we weren't allowed to be in the white church. Sure. And so, and so there's a discussion, there's a point of education that has to happen and, and, uh, and, a, and, and a real understanding of the history that brought us to this point. Um, if we don't do that, then we can never heal or, or, or even repair and correct the wrong because we have yet to face the issue. We cannot fix what we won't face. And so, and so, so, and so, so we're, we're, we're kind of living and walking and existing, um, you know, kind of walking with our eyes wide shut because we don't want to look at the issues that are still there. I mean, they, I mean, and then going further, you know, it's also difficult to be a person of color um, in a, you know, in a church context that, that, that's not talking about or dealing with the social issues that you confront after Sunday. You know, we have to be able, I mean, as a member, as a worshiper to know that my pastor, my covering, my shepherd, you know, is concerned about my life between Sundays. You know, what, what happens to me after worship? What happens to me after I give my tithe? What happens after the song? You know, we have to make sure that, you know, because the gospel speaks to, I mean, every area of our life. And so, so again, all that kind of culminates, you know, and kind of combines the history, you know, the context, again, and also being able to have these, these tough conversations about what's still here. And so, again, that kind of creates the difficulty because we're avoiding 
the necessary confrontation conversation um, and, and out of that, um, we're afraid to travel the painful road of having to deconstruct what has been built in error. So where does the change start, I think, is the question. And Vani, I'll tell you a little bit about my personal experience. Uh, when it comes specifically to issues of race, I would say um, the largest change has been fairly recent over the past couple of years where um, I had a person that I worked with that I became close with who was a believer who was an African-American. And we had discussions um, you know, outside of work, let's say outside of work hours that were open and there were dialogue between two believers. And we were able to honestly talk about our points of view about, you know, the way we were raised and, and have common ground. And I know there's been some initiatives, I forget the name of it, but there was one that was done in Dallas. It's been touring around to get people from separate backgrounds together and just talk about things in the same room. What is your, what is your recommendation on how we can go be better about having these kind of intentional conversations, especially for those of us who might be in a world where there's frankly not a lot of diversity in our church or not a lot of diversity in our workplace or our everyday? What can we do to be more intentional about having that kind of conversation and relationship? Um, yeah, that's good. I think, well, one, if it's not in your church, the second place would be take a look around your workplace and see who's at work. Um, and then if it's not there, just look at other aspects of your life. Like what, where else do you interact with other people? Is there a gym that you go to? Are you, you know, is there a coffee shop that you go to regularly? Are there um, like groups like the Ann campaign where you get to meet other people and uh, converse with other people? Um, face to face when it's not a pandemic going on, of course. Um, and so um, it's, I would recommend just taking a look at your life um, and being intentional with where you go. Um, and maybe that, you know, might look like a little extra effort in doing some research to seeing like what is there in your neighborhood or where you live or where you can serve or where you can volunteer. Um, but it will take, it does take effort. And then the other aspect of it is, you know, if you're at a church and you feel like that's where God has led you to be, which is wonderful. But another thing to consider is like, is there a church that is minority led, um, in your area where you can go be a part of, um, where you're the minority, right? And so, and that's also something else to think about and, and consider, because I think a lot of times, Damien, I don't know how you feel about this, because you're a pastor of a church, but I know a lot of times it seems like the onus is often on the minority individual going into a white space, right, um, in that sense. And so I think my challenge would be like, maybe that would be something you know, whoever's listening to this could consider, like, would you consider going to a church where you are a minority? Um, because, you know, I've been, I myself became a Christian in a largely white church for the most part. Um, and so, 
you know, very conservative as well. I became a Christian when I was in college. And so um, just knowing how that feels in that environment where a lot of times you might be the only one who has a certain viewpoint on things, I think um, is a growing experience as well, sanctification. And so I would encourage anyone who's listening to think about that, maybe pray about that and see what God says. Would it be, I just, just thinking of this, because I, I chose my church based on the mission statement to begin with. That's how I first found it, went and, uh, and attended and loved the pastor, fell in love with it and hadn't been anywhere since. Is it healthy to go to a different church, even if it's just once every couple of months to be in that different experience? Or do I need to go full bore, leave my current church, find the other one to be fully part of that community? Or it, would it be healthy to, to be around a different church every once in a while? I think it's very healthy. And I think actually it's probably more productive because what, what that then allows you to do is to, is to experience something you haven't experienced the, and then go back and tell the story. One of the things about, about, about this conversation that we have to have is we can't have it in isolation. Um, and I mean, here's the issue, you know, for, 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 for many minorities, you know, we, many of us feel like a dog barking at a brick wall, you know, because we've been, we've been, you know, we've been crying, okay, um, racism is here, um, oppression is here, and so we're barking and we're crying and no one's listening. And so, but what has to happen if someone, you know, has the, you know, the ability to, go be exposed and, you know, and learn something and be educated and see life from a different lens, then that can be in that creates an, an, an opportunity to go back and have some conversations with people that I'll never interact with. I mean, there are some people that I, that, that you will see or Aaron will see that I will never have a chance to converse with, or even more so, um, there are some things that they'll, they'll be more likely to, you know, to, to, to say in your presence than, than it will in mine. I mean, so, because, so again, I actually think that, 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 that'd be great, actually. Well, we're talking about politics and religion and how they mix with this new book. Again, Compassion and Conviction, uh, Amazon bestseller. You can get it pretty much anywhere you would find books. But right now, not many people are going to Barnes & Noble. They're getting <laughs> on, on Amazon. And, right. and uh, thankfully, a lot of people have picked it up already. But um, let's get to the big issue when it comes to religion and politics, and that's abortion. For a lot of people, abortion is the single issue that keeps them voting Republican. Nothing else matters. It's about that single issue. And I was that way for a long time, but with President Trump, I just couldn't mark his name down. I, I was not exactly thrilled about the way he had represented himself in, in the past, and didn't think he would be a good representative for our country to the world. So first time I didn't vote for a Republican presidential candidate, and I can't see myself voting for him this time either. We talked about it in episode one with Bob Sturm. That's issue one, but do you give up issues two through 99 for issue one? And I know you're not really telling people how to vote through this campaign, but you're teaching them how to consider who to vote for in a biblical sense. So what do you tell people about 
the abortion issue compared to any other issue that they're concerned about? Well, I'll let Vani go, but my, my, my answer is simple. Read the entire Bible. I mean, that for me is, I mean, we have, we, we have literally taken one sin issue, one, one issue as if it's the only one in the Bible. And, and, and we have, we have forgotten about the rest of, 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 of the biblical text, you know, where it deals with oppression, where it deals with you no know, hunger, where it deals with, I mean, a, a, a litany of other things. And so, so for me, um, you know, without going all night long, <laughs> I just say, you know, read the entire Bible, um, because we have to make sure that, you know, that we're engaging the biblical text again in entirety and in context. Yeah. And Chris, I was that way too, where abortion was, you know, like I said, I, I became a Christian in a very conservative environment. And so that was like, like a single issue for me in terms of um, voting, which has changed. And I think part of it is realizing the whole life ethic is from womb to tomb. That idea is that um, your life has value in the womb and your life has value outside of the womb. You know, whether that's an issue related to criminal justice reform or immigration policy, whatever, whatever it is, um, that we love people regardless of where they are on that spectrum. And so having that lens when you go into things that one, um, that we look at all life as precious, right? Um, and so um, I think that is really important to have that, that, have that viewpoint going in when you're assessing how you're going to vote and, and which issues um, are important to you, I guess. Um, and it's taking the whole life ethic into account. We've talked about the, uh, the problems of a two-party system several times on this show and just having a binary choice, one or the other. I actually voted for a third-party candidate <laughs> last time. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see if one comes up that I, that I feel better about uh, for this election. But, you know, following up on that, I'm quoting the book again, progressivism tries to place an expiration date on truth. So yes, bad institutions need to be changed, but not everything needs to be disrupted. And we talked about the conflict, protecting the unborn versus how poor people and minority people are treated. And I'd imagine there's people who talk with you guys when it relates to the campaign and making these decisions, that it almost seems impossible to make that choice with our two-party system. We almost need an and campaign party to you know, bring all these messages together and get us a clear voice. I mean, yeah, I mean, that would be ideal, right? Um, <laughs> you know, we're laying but, the groundwork, right? <laughs> I mean, hey, you know, um, I mean, but you're right. I mean, so I, I think that's one of the uh, one of the things that, you know, many of us, you know, who are people, people of color have had to wrestle with, you know, for four generations, right? Is like, you know, for, for many of us, voting has come down to choosing the lesser of two evils, you know, in many cases. And so, um, you know, and so, in, and now we know, we know, you know, we, we're bringing to it, you know, our formation theologically. Now, how do we, how do we navigate that? How do we, and, and so it's really, it is difficult. 
um, because, you know, one may go too far left, one may go too far right, you know, and, or one, I mean, or, or not, or, or neither makes sense. And so, you know, so we, we really, you know, we're left to pray and left to want, you know, try to walk in godly wisdom to see how we navigate the water that we know that we're in. Um, because we know we don't have a clear cut party that is really um, rooted in, in, in faith, in theology. You no, know, we don't have that. And so, I think that you no, know, for you no, know, for me, you know, for believers, it's important for us to recognize that we do not have a party system that is rooted in being Christian. We you know that's I mean that's a a a point of conversation, a point of recognition, a point of reality that we don't have that now. For, for some, you know, again, um, have have been taught that if, if you're not Republican, you're not Christian. You know, I mean that's and that's how many have no. You know we're brought up um and then on the other end you know if you're not a democrat <laughs> then you aren't human i mean so we know we know we've had this kind of uh, this dualism here uh but i think it's it, it, it's a point of you know for enough for believers you know we have to recognize that we're not navigating and I, and, oh you know what and i think it, it, it really shows us that you know that scripture's true that be in the world but not of the world right because we have to function in a system that's not designed biblically. And so that's reality for us. Yeah. And, and that gets into a good kind of, uh, it's, well, that's kind of a good setup for the next couple of questions here. So another quote from the book is neither progressivism nor conservatism satisfies the love or truth imperatives of the gospel. So I think, you know, what you said is, is interesting because the book also talks about how we have at some point started to confuse our politics. And I think this has happened on both sides, but I know coming from a background where most of my friends and family and church going folks were on the right, they've started to confuse their politics and their faith. And we, it's like the other way around, right? We want our faith to influence our politics, not our politics to influence our faith, which I think has happened for a lot of folks. But in that, you know, the ultimate goal as Christians, as we've alluded to, and the book alludes to, should still be the Great Commission, right? Politics should come secondary to um, Christianity. And if we're using kind of Christianity to promote our politics, that's, a, I think, a very dangerous place, right? If it's just for show, if it's just for frontsmanship, if it's just maybe taking a few selective parts of the Bible to support our uh, you know, our points of view and leaving everything else out. So what would you say to people who say that, you know, maybe, maybe this is just, um, it's a, a lack of focus or a loss of focus for Christians? I'm going to use this metaphor. I think we have to be very careful of not wrapping the cross in the flag. Um, I think, you know, I think for, you know, we, we, we're caught in a culture where we have um, Pastor Fair Price said, said, said this years ago, that we're caught in a culture where we have a lot of professional Christians, but very few born again Christians. And so, and so, so we have the, you know, so we have this one sect of people who are using the word Christian for professional political purposes. And so, 
but don't espouse, don't, 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 don't have, haven't had the heart change, the life change that reflects the life of a believer. And so um, I think, so that's, we, we have to be very careful not, not to conflate our politics with our, 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 our faith. Because again, many have literally wrapped the cross in the flag where they conflate. And again, being a believer with being Republican, being a believer, no, I mean, so, and so, so you end up almost being indoctrinated to believe a certain way that's almost antithetical to the very faith that we believe in. And so again, for us is, is beginning to have our understanding, our definition, um, our comprehension of what it means to be Christian from the word of God and not the perspective of politic and people. Yeah, I, I think that unfortunately happens a lot, Damien, just because people are more concerned about what's happening in their little sphere. And if, if some, if a kid or an adult or whoever is being mistreated at our border, we again, don't look at them as fully human sometimes. We don't, and God, it's, they are just as much God's creation as somebody who is lucky enough to be born in the state of Texas. I mean, that, right. it does not matter. Those borders were not created by him. Uh, but Vani, you know, I'm sure you have a lot of these conversations with the campaign, with people who just got disillusioned with politics at some point in their life and just wanted to check out completely. But it touches every part of our world. And obviously what the, what the campaign's doing is making it clear that Christians should be involved, need to be involved. So how do you kind of bring people back when they're saying, I just, I, I hate politics. I don't want to deal with this anymore. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite scriptures um, is in John 13. And that's, of course, when Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. And I'm very much an image person. And so I just think of Jesus. And then in there, it says that, you know, Jesus took off his outer garments and he wrapped the towel around his waist. And then he got down and he washed the feet of every disciple that was there. Um, and then at the end of that, he says, do you not understand what I have done for you? You call me Lord and teacher and rightly so for that is who I am. Um, so therefore you should go and do the same because I have set an example for you. Um, and so I love that because to me, that's Jesus tangibly showing us how to love other people and it's messy. And I know that probably took a long time to wash the feet of everybody. Um, and so my encouragement to people, and, you know, they mentioned it at the end of the book is, you know, civic engagement as a spiritual offering to the Lord. And so I just look at it as that, that we are like, be encouraged and following in the steps of Jesus and loving people well, which means we'll have to sometimes take off our outer garments and wrap a towel around our waist and humbly get on our knees and do work. Um, and it will take effort, but we're following the Lord in that. And he is our strength. He helps us to persevere in that. We don't have to fear. He's with us. He has overcome the world. And so I think my, that would be, that is my encouragement to people um, is from that scripture. It's just like we're following Jesus in that. 
and he didn't say it was going to be easy, um, but he's there with us and he'll help us. And so press on, brother, press on, sister. Yes. Yeah, so we've kind of talked about this, but just being a little more direct, you know, when we're faced with two options that we think are not the best, um, I've kind of debated with many friends over the last few years, especially that if you think that there's something evil on the left and you think that there's something evil on the right, then the choice is not to pick one or the other because the lesser of two evils is still evil. And that that's something I've liked to say. And I know it's, it's a really like, you know, nice little phrase, but in reality, um, people do see this and you know, they see this as you have to pick one side or the other. There's, there's only one option, right? We, we all know that in practicality, either Joe Biden or President Trump is going to get elected um, this, you know, this fall, right? And so, once again, I know you're not here to tell people who to vote for, but Christians who are struggling with this, you know, if I support either side, maybe I'm doing something that is morally wrong, should I just abstain? Should I vote for a third party candidate? Should I, you know, not talk about politics like we just talked about, right? Like there are people who are legitimately- That's definitely not the answer. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely not the answer, but there are people who legitimately are conflicted and so they're, they're staying away. So I just kind of wanted to see um, maybe Damien, what do you think about that? You know, if there's evil on both sides, what do you do? I'm a, I'm a preface it this way. I, I think for us as Christians, we, we have to kind of function with an intersection of our intellect and our biblical inspiration, right? We have, we have to be thinking believers. Um, so, so for me, um, again, of course, I can't tell anyone how to vote, right? Um, and, but I would definitely, you know, I agree with Chris, not voting is not the answer. That is, that's like, that's no. Um, if, if there is an evil, that's an evil. Um, so, um, especially for a person of color, you know, because you know, we have had too many uh, who have given their lives for us to just have the right to be able to vote. Um, so that's, you know, that's, for me, that's, that's, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's critical. Um, but I'll say this, I, I think one of the things that I would recommend, however you engage and however you move in voting, as a believer, as a person who is concerned about God's creation, as God's word talks about, you know, oppression and the impact, you know, of, of systems and justice, you know, uh, 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 I, I think we have to be able to look at, you know, really shift from voting from how we're told, but begin to engage and inspect policy, begin to inspect how what we're voting for will impact God's creation. You know, and, and, and not just looking at it, you know, from our, our immediate sphere of influence, because if we do that, and then, we'll, you know, we end up missing the impact on somebody else. And so I think we have to be able to look at, you know, how, how do these policy recommendations impact the poor? How do they impact the homeless? How do they impact those who are already dis you know, disenfranchised? Um, how do we, you know, again, we, we have, have to, again, expand our intellectualism and allow our faith to guide us 
um, as we engage in this process. Because again, however we vote, there's somebody who is a part of God's family, God's creation, that's going to be impacted. I mean, and even as we nestle around, you know, of course, many people know kind of encamp around abortion, you know, but we have to also be able to, you know, discuss the issues layered behind abortion. Again, you no, know, um, you know, economic reasons, social issues, emotional issues. I mean, so, I mean, there's a host of issues that we have to be able to engage and look at. So again, for me, it's being a Christian who's also conscious and make sure that I'm engaging my intellect as well as my faith. So Vani, at the beginning, uh, Damien talked a little bit about social justice, and we, we talked about that from the beginning, but getting very specific to the and campaign, uh, I'll say that there are certain buzzwords, and we mentioned social justice is one of them that might cause people, let's say, on the right, for example, to back away, right? There's a lot of these buzzwords when you get into political conversations where people from the other side just kind of put their hands up and like, you know, no, I'm not in for that. That's not what I'm about without really trying to understand the movement and understand what it's about. And I think that's it's partially what we're seeing in some of the visceral reactions that we see on TV, whether it be on protests on either side or whatever, right? It's not a true understanding of what the, the other side is about. But as Christians, we need to do this better. So what would you say to Christians who are hesitant to get involved with the AND campaign or any similar, you know, if there's similar organizations out there, because maybe they're afraid of who they might be associated with or affiliated with, or, you know, somebody might all of a sudden see them in the wrong light. What, what could you do to encourage them and maybe clarify things for them? Yeah. Um, I guess the encouragement would be um, one, I guess part of it is, is a posture of humility as well, that like when you like take terminology, maybe like social justice or things that might be buzzwords and then, you know, there's that worry about being tied to it. I think there's an aspect of, and I, you know, I'm guilty with this as well, of like the, how are we perceived by others, which I mean, at the root of that is going to be you know, some pride going on in there. Um, and so I think first um, is having a posture of humility. And then when you think about things like social justice, I guess if you're hearing about the end campaign and then you go to the website and you see social justice, I guess my encouragement would be to just keep reading. <laughs> you know, keep reading, read the documents, um listen to some of the podcasts um the church politics podcast is great um some of the articles that they have their position statements like just read a little bit more go deeper go further um and then obviously pray and talk to god as well um that's always important but i think just take that next step in humility it's just you know read some more um or even reach out to us you know, res respond hopefully pretty quickly to our email um, accounts um, if there are questions or clarifications as well. Um, we would be happy to, you know, that's what we're about is to converse and have conversations with people um, if they want to do it. And the whole point is to do it in a safe place, right? That that's what we consider ourselves, a safe place for people to like have these conversations and um, get their questions out or concerns about raising um, 
so that we can help clarify that a little bit more. But I think I would just say to start with the position of humility and then just read, um, listen um, as well to learn more. Um, and I think it starts there. Well, I'm glad we can have this conversation. I hate that we have to have it virtually. I really, you know, there's, there's so many things happening that I wish that I could converse with people in person and have, it's hard to connect with people over Zoom as much as, you know, it's good to have this conversation. If we were sitting eye to eye in the same room in chairs next to each other, I think the, the conversation could be even better and deeper. But, you know, we know as, as Christians that God puts governments in authority. That's, that's biblical, that we should respect our leaders. And that's something that I have struggled with under our current president. And, you know, just how biblically, I'll let you take this, Damien, um, how should we be reacting in a biblical sense to our current president? Should we be engaging more with uh, people that we disagree with, maybe? Should we, obviously we should be praying for him. I think that goes without saying. And I think that's something that I forget to do from time to time because of my frustrations. I forget to pray for President Trump. I forget to pray for Governor Abbott. And, you know, I, I know that's something that I should be doing more often. So maybe I know you're going to encourage me in doing that, but at the same time, where should we go beyond, beyond just praying for these people? Um, I mean, I think you, you answered it with, you know, within your, uh, within your question. Um, I mean, and, you know, and I confess for myself, you know, it's, it's not only have I not always prayed for them, I've just forgotten to do it. You know, I mean, and, and I'm a pastor because again, the frustration can overwhelm you. I mean, you know, it's kind of like how, how, you know, and, and then for me, it goes further. How do we get here? You know, and so um, I think one of the things that we have to look at, I mean, as a believer um, is, you know, I think you say the best that I think now is a time uh, where we have to be open and willing to engage with people who don't think like us. We have to be able to have conversations with people who, that we don't, don't agree with, um, you know, and uh, I'll say this again, and, and this is Pastor Madison saying this, not not not, not the end campaign. Um, <laughs> but I'm saying this. I'm, I think we're in, in a winter period of Jeremiah 13, uh, where you know God says, "I will pull the scripture up over their heads." Um, I, I mean, I think that this is where God is really exposing um, what I call, and Bonnie has heard me, heard me, heard me say before, where God's exposing the pee in the carpet. Um, of course, you know that you know. Um, in a carpet stain, unless you, you know you clean down to the mat of the carpet at some point, um, that stain will resurrect. And so I think what, as, as, as we question engaging with President Trump, I think the issue really is recognizing the stain that we're engaging with. Uh, President Trump really represents and embodies a cancer our country has never healed from. And that is bigotry, racism, I mean, I mean, I mean, and misogyny, sexism. I mean, I mean, and, and so I think for us as believers, we have to look at what is the cancer in our country that has allowed someone like him to rise to the presidency. And so, and so as we look at that, we're not confronting it just from an, an, an isolated issue. 
we have to look, okay, God, we need you to heal our land. You know, we need you to come in and show us how do we have the conversations within the church, within our neighborhoods, within our, our friends, our families that can prevent the kind of emanation that we see right now in, in the administration. And we have to be able to look at it, not from a micro level, but from a macro level. Because again, um, you know, again, there has to be a culture that allows someone like him to exist. I mean, that, no, that's not just by happenstance. There, there, there's a culture that allowed it to, you know, uh, that allow him to arise, but also allow him to remain. And so, you know, so as a believer, uh, we need to pray, yes, for him, for his, I mean, his healing, his salvation, deliverance, all that, but also pray for our nation's healing and our nation's deliverance. Um, and I'll go further, pray that our church will recognize that we have issues that we have to confront and deal with. So kind of in closing, I'd like to hear from both of you, Vani and then uh, Damien, you know, the and campaign, we're here talking about that, right? Great resources. We have the book we've talked about that came out. We've talked about the website. We've talked about the church politics podcast, which I have listened to. And Justin did a great one uh, fairly recently. I think it has seven concrete steps that you can take to get involved and actually do things when there's a lot of Christians, especially a lot of white Christians I know saying, okay, I'm with you, but what do I actually do? What are my tangible steps? And Justin speaks to that very well. But I want to just from your personal experience, either on behalf of and or just, you know, kind of your life experience or Damien in your church, what, what can people do? Are there other resources outside of and what are other things that you would recommend kind of in closing where we can, you know, how can we have these conversations? How can we um, be more educated? How can we be more astute about making sure we're keeping our eyes up as we're going through this political process, but also as Christians? So Vani, we'll start with you. Sure. Um, as far as resources go, I guess if you're a white Christian and just want to learn more about um, the topics of like white supremacy, um, white normativity, things like that, and be the bridge is a good resource with Latasha Morrison, and they do um, even like I think they're called white intensive courses, and they're led by white people, <laughs> um, but it's it's biblical, and so you know she's a believer and. Um, the church I was at before we did a Be the Bridge class, you can adopt the pro the study and do it in your church as well. Um, so that would be one resource that's out there. Um, and then uh, there's other podcasts. There's like the Do Three podcast as well um, that I would recommend that has a lot of good information by Lisa Fields. She kind of heads that up. Um, and then as far as in the community, um, I would just maybe, you know, look for organizations that are doing the work. And so, you know, I know in Dallas and South Dallas, there's Abide, um, which Cecily Smith leads. And her whole thing is to support uh, minority women because for her, um, she has a real passion to see maternal mortality rates in um, Black mothers go down because it's uh, health disparity that's out there. And so she is, has created an organization that basically puts um, mentors with 
um, women um, and kind of with them through the whole process of their pregnancy um, resources there. So it's really great when we talk about like the whole life ethic, right? Um, and everything that maybe could contribute eventually to someone choosing um, or making a decision to have an abortion. Like she's trying to get at that, right? Um, and so knowing the organizations that are maybe in your community that are doing good work and supporting those organizations, um, maybe not just with your time, but with your money as well. Awesome. Thank you, Vani. Damon? Uh, yeah. Um, in terms of resources, I mean, I, I think I'll start there. I mean, there are tons of books that I know that I think uh, that we should try to engage in. I, I actually say it this way. Um, if the, it, I, I would say three things I think that would be helpful to somebody who wants to engage and and try to begin walking the path of this process. Um, and there are three things I would say. I would say listen, learn, and love. Um, one, listen. I think, you know, part of the conversation is being open to hearing and understanding the experience of someone who does not look like you. You know, being open to hearing the experiences of somebody who has walked a different path, uh, who, who has had to endure um, the experience um, of race and injustice in our country. Um, so, so, so definitely, you know, no, so again, listen and learn. You know, learn the history of our country. I mean, there are some great books, again, resources. Um, a book stamped from, from the beginning by Ibram Kendi would be a good one. Um, there's a book um, called The Slave, Slave Community by John Blassingame. Uh, there's another one, um, ah, here it is, uh, The Color Law uh, by Rothstein. Um, I mean, so, they're, they're, so, so again, learn the history and the context upon which, you know, that we're, again, having to experience this. Uh, and lastly, love. You know, again, the Bible tells us to love your neighbor as yourself. And so again, be, be open to love enough to, again, love beyond yourself, love beyond your subdivision, love beyond your church, love beyond your friends, uh, and recognize that, that, that God has called us and commanded us to love God's creation, not just who we choose, but who God created. And if we can do that, if we can have that love, have that compassion and conviction, we can see a change happen in our world. Yeah, you said listen there, which I think is really important, especially for those of us who are, you know, somewhat early on this journey, at least comparatively to others, into, you know, exposing ourselves to different points of view and really wanting to be open. So this is a podcast. We are partial to listening. We're hoping a lot of people listen to this, but I would be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to my friend Antoine Malone, who has a podcast called Colored Commentary, and it is awesome. And if you haven't listened to it, you should. And it definitely helped me over the last few months kind of processing some of the things that have been going on and just opening myself up to a different point of view. So that's my, my plug for my buddy, but that's also a great resource. And I'm so glad, uh, you know, we discovered the end campaign, whether it was Aaron first or I did first, we were going to argue back and forth about that, but it's sound biblically. And that's the most important thing in all of this. It's all coming from God. And I think we all understand that it doesn't matter 
you know, your background, you can certainly engage again, listen, learn, understand people's experiences and whatever you do politically, however you decide to vote this November, do it from a biblical foundation. My sister in Christ, Vani, my brother in Christ, Damien, appreciate you guys being here. Thank, Thank you so much for having us. Today for what we're into, we're gonna talk about something very fitting. We've all been at home doing Zoom calls or in front of our computers or FaceTiming. And we wanted to talk about our favorite apps because that changes all the time. And I think during the pandemic, my app usage has been a little bit different. So Chris, what are some of your favorite apps right now? See, now I have to think about it really quick because when you told me you want to talk about our favorite apps tonight, I put down chips and skillet queso and mozzarella sticks. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit sad that Buffalo Wings didn't make that list. I don't know if we can be friends. That's a meal. I, I get it. Well, it's true. It's everything. Wings that, was a bad, everything. that was my bad dad joke for the night. Is Wings that, are life. Hashtag. <laughs> my appetizers versus applications joke. That goes down in the dad joke uh, category here. But it's late. We tape this thing very late after our kids go to sleep. Uh, we don't really talk about that. But it's nearly 11 o'clock. Um, all right. So past the social media apps, the typical ones, and I'm on Twitter way too much, on Facebook way too much, and um, I'm on LinkedIn an awful lot right now too because I don't know if there's going to be a football season, so I may need to get a real job. <laughs> Is there <laughs> such thing as being on social media too much, Chris? Is, yes. Is that a real thing? Yes, and I and I qualify. Um, all right, so what I, what I loved the most before the pandemic and while I was traveling, it's an app called TripIt. It was my go-to, incredible for organization for travel. Um, set it up and forward all of your reservations, confirmation numbers, whatever it may be for hotels, rental cars, flights, everything and it will automatically put it together for each of your trips. So I can, I'd be able to go into the TripIt app, look at, all right, I've got a trip to Boston next weekend, and it already has all of that grouped with my airline reservation, my hotel, my car, whatever else there may be, and I have to put, I have put zero effort into it. I don't have to go back into my email and search for national car rental for Southwest Airlines, whatever it may be. Love it. And I, anybody who travels a lot for work, that is my biggest recommendation is the TripIt app. Past that, again, I'm not using that right now because I'm not going yeah. anywhere. I don't know if there's um, a lot of people traveling a lot at this moment. No, but no, no. But keep it in mind. Download it and set it up and uh, you'll be ready when uh, you're able to travel again. Uh, I love Good Budget. Uh, it is very simple uh, envelopes for every category. And we're going to talk more about finances next week. But I take the Dave Ramsey philosophy of every dollar having a name. So every month, fill up the envelopes. And there's X number of dollars in my entertainment folder, X number of dollars in clothing, in 
um, haircut, which is a very full envelope right now because it keeps getting replenished and I haven't got a haircut since February. Uh, so I will be able to go and get the most luxurious, nicest haircut at the best salon in Dallas, Fort Worth when all this is over. Cause I'll have Hopefully plenty of money. Can, they can do something about that beard as well. I hope. Yes. The beard, the beard is leaving before the first uh, football broadcast, assuming that happens, but if there's no football season. This thing is going to get ridiculous. Uh, so good budget is number two. Number three is untapped. Uh, no E at the end, like you would normally spell it. U N T A P P D no E. Uh, it's a beer app. So you, you drink good beer, craft beer. Like I do this, this is a worthless app. If you just drink Bud Light. Okay. Uh, but it's social. So your friends who are also craft beer connoisseurs can get on there and share the latest thing that you tried. Uh, you give it a rating. You can talk about its flavor. Um, and it's for one, it's social, but for two, it also helps jog your memory. When I'm somebody who tries a lot of different things, I can put the beer in before I order it and make sure that it's not something I tried before and hated because that's definitely something I can, I'm in danger of when I try, I try to try some different things all the time and I might not remember, all right, I, I did, uh, I, I sampled this blonde uh, five months ago and I gave it a one star. Do not, don't get it again. Try something different. So, uh, you know, like I said, for my friends who just drink in the terrible domestic swill, that's not one you're gonna you're gonna download, but uh, good budget and trip it, you can still benefit from. What is on your list, the top of your apps? So I have one I'm gonna talk about more in detail next week. So a little more preview of next week's episode, which is called Robin Hood, and it's for those who have always wanted to invest, but not wanted to put a lot of money into it or known where to start. And so it's a really cool app. We'll talk more about it in detail. Robin Hood. But I'm going to talk about an oldie but a goodie that I think that more people have discovered through this COVID-19 pandemic, but so many people still aren't using that I'm talking to, which I'm shocked, which is Instacart. So Instacart is one of multiple shopping apps or grocery shopping apps where you go ahead and do your grocery shopping and then someone else delivers your, your groceries. And actually they shop for you on Instacart. So they do your shopping and your delivery. And it's been the, the godsend for, you know, kind of pandemic living because you don't have to go anywhere. And there was a little bit of a hiccup for a short amount of time when there was so much demand early on, but now we're back to where you can get your groceries within two hours. And even if you're not trying to stay away from everybody due to COVID-19, it's just a time saver. And so I think that if you haven't tried Instacart, you should absolutely try it. Most grocery stores are on there and, you know, you can get stuff from a couple different places, including Costco, some of the specialty markets, but also just like Kroger or whatever. So, so why is that better in your opinion than let's say Amazon fresh or um, just getting groceries from the Walmart app? What makes Instacart better? Well, you know, Instacart has a larger list of partners really is what it is. 
And Amazon's great if you want deliveries from Whole Foods, but we all know that the prices at Whole Foods are not, you know, exactly the most affordable. And they're uh, also, um, it has to do with delivery time. So Walmart uses Partner for Delivery, but the delivery times are, you know, a lot of times snatched up. You might have to wait till tomorrow. You might have to wait several days if they're really busy. Same thing on Amazon. Instacart has had such a flood of people, I believe, that probably were maybe restaurant servers or whatever now that have shifted over there in the last few months, that most all grocery orders that I place, at least around here, are delivered within two hours. So if you want groceries from a multitude of places within two hours, Instacart is your choice. All right, you've got one more. Yeah, so this one is a little bit obscure. So... um, I like to listen to comedy. This is another piece of myself I'm going to share. I I love, I could watch Facebook videos for hours and it sucks you in with that algorithm where if you watch one video, it feeds you another and it feeds you another. And then all of a sudden, you know, your wife has been asleep for four hours and you're still watching comedy videos. Yeah, you didn't laugh laugh at my joke about appetizers. (laughs) Um, So... The thing is, is that comedy, you know, can sometimes be a little bit borderline and sometimes more than borderline, even what you find on social media. And so I typically like comedy that I could watch with my friends or my parents or my family and and maybe nobody would be too offended. And that can be hard to find sometimes if you're just perusing the internet. And Uh, there was a comedy series called Dry Bar Comedy that started debuting a few years ago on Facebook. And I love the Dry Bar Comedy videos because there's no profanity in any of them. And generally speaking, the topics are, you know, fairly clean and applicable to a lot of people. So Dry Bar Comedy just came out with an app not too long ago, which you can download, which has all of the comedians on demand their full shows for free, which is amazing. It's just like clean comedy on demand. So if you're, you know, going on a road trip or you're just, you know, you've listened to every No Longer Neighbors episode seven times (laughs) and you just need a little bit of humor because Chris's jokes aren't that good, then, you know, you could download the Dry Bar Comedy app and listen to, uh, you know, a few things that will make you chuckle. So try bar comedy. That kind of makes, makes me think of, we need to improve our, um, our guest list, by the way, we haven't had any really funny people. We've had really interesting people, but maybe we need to tap into, you know, those comedians for the most part, don't have any clubs to play in right now. Maybe they're just bored and would like to go through their new material here on the podcast. Just a free comedy show on the No Longer Neighbors podcast. I'll let you book them. How about that? I'll work on it. Episode six in the books. Again, we're going to talk about personal finance next week. Riveting, I know. So and you're going to have to wait a week for it if you're downloading this on Friday. So it's going to be tough, but you can do it. You can handle the weight. Watch some baseball in the meantime. Chris is trying to be funny there. <laughs> I do think we have an interesting story, at least, uh, you know, from my personal side of it. My wife and I were in 
a ridiculous amount of debt and uh, learned some great lessons to not only get out of it, but to put ourselves in a financial situation where um, we haven't had to freak out too much during the pandemic, which, you know, if we would, if this would have happened six, seven years ago, yeah, we'd be uh, in real trouble right now. Um, so we'll talk about that. We will uh, visit with uh, somebody who really knows what they're talking about, much bigger expert than me on uh, your financial uh, outlook, about your credit score, about uh, getting your house in order when it comes to money. So look forward to uh, bringing that conversation and talking about the events of the week and telling you more about what we are into. Until then, enjoy baseball, get excited about hoops and hockey coming up, and uh, hopefully the next time we speak, the uh, Rangers will be uh, 5-0 and uh, on their way to clinching a playoff spot. <laughs>